Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrow of those who run after other God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Those are the first eight verses of Psalm 16, which along with Psalm 17 are the psalms appointed for today, Friday, October the 15th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We've got um, lessons in Jeremiah, the 38th chapter, verses 14 to 28. We're continuing our study of uh, the first epistle of Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 15, the first 11 verses, and in the Gospel according to Matthew, the 11th chapter, the first six verses. So we have to keep the main thing the main thing, and we have to keep... um, things in their proper order and their proper perspective. Here in the Jeremiah lesson, what we've got is is the king, Zedekiah, the one who is the vassal king set up by Nebuchadnezzar after the deposition of Jehoiachin, is the last um, king, actually, of Judah. So King Zedekiah sent for Jeremiah the prophet and received him at the third entrance of the temple of the Lord. The king said to Jeremiah, I'll ask you a question. Hide nothing from me. Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, If I tell you, will you not surely put me to death? And if I give you counsel, you won't listen to me. Then King Zedekiah swore secretly to Jeremiah, As the Lord lives, who made our souls, I will not put you to death or deliver you into the hands of the men who seek your life. Remember, he is he has sent for Jeremiah before, and he has actually protected Jeremiah. He didn't, in, in one instance at least, he didn't turn him back over to Jonathan because he knew that he would kill him. And so here we get the, this, again, this secret assignation that uh, Jeremiah and Zedekiah have here because he, he doesn't, he, he's officially persona non grata, uh, but the other side of it is is that he is actually somebody the king trusts to tell the truth. He knows that he has these false prophets, but he does trust Jeremiah to tell the truth because Jeremiah is a guy who, he, he's obeying one person, right? He's not obeying the king, uh, he is obeying God, and he, he is ruthlessly obedient. He will say whatever God tells him to say, no matter how the chips may fall. And so so Jeremiah says to Zedekiah, all right, here's your truth then. <clears throat> Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, if you'll surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then your life will be spared, and this city shall not be burned with fire. You and your house shall live. But If you do not surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then this city should be given into the hands of the Chaldeans, and they'll burn it with fire, and you will not escape from their hand. Simple as that. Here's my counsel. Surrender. If you want to preserve your life, the life of those who are here, as well as the city of Jerusalem not being burned with fire, then then surrender. And surrender now. Don't, Don't try and fight this thing out. It's going to end... Uh, with you going into captivity, into exile anyway. You might as well do it without a fight. So King Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, I'm afraid of the Judeans who have deserted to the Chaldeans, lest I be handed over to them and they deal cruelly with me. 
It's a legitimate concern because he sold them out, and he has led them astray. And so, so his own people are the greatest fear that he have. not even the Babylonians. He's more afraid of his own people who have defected and gone over to them than he is the, the Chaldeans themselves. And Jeremiah said, you shall not be given to them. Obey now the voice of the Lord and what I say to you, and it shall be well with you, and your life shall be spared. But if you refuse to surrender, this is the vision the Lord has shown to me. Behold, all the women left in the house of the king of Judah were being led out to the officials of the king of Babylon and were saying, You trusted friends have deceived you and prevailed against you. Now that your feet are sunk in the mud, they turn away from you. All your wives and your sons shall be led out by the Chaldeans, and you yourself shall not escape from their hand, but shall be seized by the king of Babylon, and this city will be burned by fire. I mean, there's a simple choice, and it's almost crazy to hear Jeremiah saying these things, because normally what a prophet would say is, no, wait, but but they're not making the effort to repent of anything in this. They're, they just want to know what, what the future is supposed to look like. They're, they're treating him as a fortune teller and not a prophet, I guess, is the best way to say it, because a, listening to a prophet would call you to repent in order to avoid this, but, but Jeremiah said there's no avoiding this. All, um, Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, let no one know of these words, and you shall not die. Don't tell anybody that we've spoken to one another. If the officials hear that I've spoken with you and come to you and say to you, tell us what you said to the king and what the king said to you, hide nothing from us and will not put you to death, then you shall say to them, I made a humble plea to the king that he would not send me back to the house of Jonathan to die there. Then all the officials came to Jeremiah and asked him, and he answered them as the king had instructed him. So they stopped speaking with him, for the conversation had not been overheard. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the guard until the day that Jerusalem was taken. So he remained a prisoner, but he was not given over to the hand of the one who wanted to kill him. It's it, Jeremiah is just doing what God told him to do and what he tells him to say. He's giving great counsel to the king. It, it, it's going to end the same way one way or another. It'll just be with a lot less loss of life and the preservation of the city of Jerusalem. <clears throat> and And the king hears him, and you know from reading this, that the king believes Jeremiah's right in this. But but can he do that? In the gospel today, it, we see another one who is a truth teller, John the Baptist, <coughs> who pays the price for telling the truth. So Jesus finished instructing the 12 disciples about the mission that he'd sent them on. He went on from there to preach and teach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ... He sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? This is an interesting passage. It, it, if, you, if you look at commentaries on this, you'll, you'll see this wide split between ancient commentarists and more modern commentaries. It, so John, remember, is the one who, who was promised that he would baptize Messiah and that he would see the sign. And he did see the sign, and he proclaimed Jesus to be the Messiah. We know that from John's gospel. We know that from every other gospel. But in John's gospel, we get him clearly pointing to Jesus and saying, look, there's the one, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That's him right there. That's Jesus. Jesus, he's the one. And so John had seen the sign. He'd been given everything that he wanted. And now the, the, the question that he sends his disciples to ask is, are you indeed the one? And so the, the ancient commentarists 
unanimously actually will say that what's happening here is is that John doesn't is not having some sort of a crisis of faith or anything like that at all what's actually happening is is that that he wants his disciples to attach themselves to Jesus and so he sends them to Jesus to see and to hear and, and because John knows he's going to die that's every single ancient commentary that you'll read every modern commentary or at least the vast majority of modern commentaries are going to go with sort of a psychologizing thing that John now is having doubts that that he he questions this because of his own situation he questions whether or not Jesus is indeed the Messiah because he can't line up his own situation with what he knows and believes about Messiah and everybody in, in the Gospels, we'll see, has that same issue. At some point along the way, Jesus says something that causes them to doubt at some level, and that's what's wrong with the disciples. They don't understand that when Jesus says, here's the deal, I'm going to end up suffering and dying, and I'll come back in three days, that they don't believe him because it conflicts with what they know from Scripture. And so what does Jesus do when, when these disciples of John come and ask him, are you the one? He says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed of the deaf here. The dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So Jesus is quoting from Isaiah what the, the things that Messiah will do when he comes. And so when he quotes these things about the blind receiving their sight, the lame walk, the lepers cleanse, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. What, it's a reversal of situations, um, but he leaves out setting the captives free, which is the one thing John needs. And sometimes we have to deal with that answer ourselves. That sometimes the answer that we have to deal with is not the thing that we want to hear from him, but it is the, the only thing that that he can say is, is that will you still believe if I don't reverse your situation? It, it, there's always a challenge to, to faith. It's, it's never something that's just completely clear. I had a friend who came to me one time. She was worried about her daughter uh, who had rejected Christ. It, it denounced him, I mean, verbally denounced him and said, I don't believe any of that. I believe that's a, a phony um, set of wives' tales. And so she was concerned about her eternal salvation, and, and then ultimately she said, um, I'm just glad that she gets another chance when she dies. I said, I'm sorry, I have no earthly idea what you're talking about. And she says, well, you know, I was told by a priest once that, that after you die, you when you stand before the throne, you get a chance to sort of recant of what you said. And, and I said, I, I don't believe that. <laughs> I don't believe there's any reason to believe that. There's nothing in Scripture anywhere that says anything remotely like that. Um, the confession has to be on faith, and it has to be made in this life, not the next life. Um, it, it, it's an amazing thing that, that people want to have comfort so much that they're willing to believe something that, that you can look at and, and say, you know, I'd show me that. Show me that anywhere. It's always going to be based in faith. And even in John's case, he's, his faith is still being tested, I believe, at this point. I, um, I don't believe that it's, that it's entirely for John's uh, disciples that this question's being asked. It could be. I, don't, I just don't know. Like I said, there's this odd split between modern and ancient commentaries. 
and I'm not. I'm just not sure, frankly, on, on which way I would fall on that. I tend to believe, though, that go with a more modern commentary on this because I believe that 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 he, John was having an existential crisis at this moment. He, he's lost everything, and everything that made any sense to him has gone away. He has, however, the witness that has already been given to him by the Father on this. <clears throat> In the um, epistle today, Paul. Is, is kind of wrapping up here. This is uh, right at the end of the epistle. He says, I would remind you, brothers, of, of these things, of the gospel that I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand. So you didn't just receive it with faith. You're still standing in that, positionally in the gospel. You remain solid in your faith and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. So it is possible to believe in vain, to, to lose your salvation because you really never possessed it. You, you just sort of believed something that first day when it was preached to you, you had an experience, but that experience didn't become a life. He says, for I delivered to you as first importance what I also received. This is the basics of the gospel from Paul's perspective. And it, and it aligns completely with the creeds that we say in worship in, our, in, in my tradition, at least. For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So Paul's saying the most important things you need to remember are that, that the Scripture said Jesus would die for our sins, that he was then buried, that he was raised in accordance with the Scriptures, and then he began to make these appearances. And, and basically what he's saying is, hey, there are eyewitnesses. There are eyewitnesses who are still alive, and you can go check with them and see if what I'm telling you is true. And, and that's one of the things that we need to remember as Christians 2,000 years later is, is that, that Paul here is pointing to several specific events that happened in space and time and, and saying, you can check this out. You can verify it for yourself. But as he comes to the end of it, he says, look, he appeared to me in the vision that I had on the road to Damascus. And so he appeared no less to me than he did to them. But then he goes on to, to speak this um, incredibly humble statement, which is the, the kind of humility that we're encouraged to show and to actually have. He said, I'm the least of the apostles unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. What he's saying is, is that, that I don't deserve this. It's not about me. I'm the least of the apostles, but I am an apostle. I mean, he, he is not going to relinquish his claim to being an apostle, no matter what happened before that, because he's been forgiven of sins and he's been raised to that level in, in spite of those sins. And it's all about the wondrous grace and love and mercy of God that makes Paul an apostle. But, but he is not going to, to lay aside his claim to being an apostle because he was made one by the Lord himself. He said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. 
In other words, he gave me great grace. And because of that, I go and do these things And because I don't want him. I don't want grace to have been squandered in my life. And therefore, I am walking out in faith every single day and preaching the gospel. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that's within me. Even then, he's not taking credit for this personally. He's saying it's, it's the grace of God that causes him to do these things. It, it, Paul's very humble, but but in a right kind of way. He's not obsequious with his humility. He, he recognizes who he is. He, he, he embraces what God has done and where God's put him positionally in the church, but but says, I don't deserve any of this. It's all about him, not about me. And he says, whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. The, the important thing here is not the messenger, it's the message. And that continues to be the case today, that the message is more important than the messenger. And anybody who would tell you otherwise is trying to preach some sort of a false Christ to you. Because there's only one who died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures and was raised again on the third day, the one who is the author and the finisher of our faith, Jesus himself.